0: Hypothyroidism in dogs can present lots of different ways, and it's actually a disease that's overdiagnosed in veterinary medicine. I was really excited to have Dr. Lauren Edelman on the podcast today. She is a boarded internist practicing in Vancouver, Canada at Canada West Vet Specialists, and you may know her from Instagram at the underscore tiny vet. We discuss diagnosis, clinical signs, and treatment options for canine hypothyroidism, giving an internal medicine and a dermatologist perspective of this disease. thank you everyone for joining me for another episode of the Derm Vet podcast. I am very excited to have Dr. Adelman on the podcast today, who is a boarded internist. And I have to throw this out there because I'm just amazed by your generosity and time commitment. Literally is getting married within a couple of weeks, which she just told me. <laughs> so, I mean, that is commitment to the veterinary field if there's anything else. But as we were chatting before we got on, uh, I think you very much have a personality like me where you're like, this talking about this is easy. This is a distraction. Like, this is what I love to do. So, I just, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today.
1: Super excited to be here. I'm stuck in my house, anyways. So happy to <laughs> chat.
0: <laughs> That's just the truth. Isn't that the truth about people who are passionate about veterinary medicine where we're like, well, we're here? Like, let's just talk about what we love to talk about. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's really nice to learn from each other and just get different tips. And it's, it, I feel like it's a different, um, passion or different. I don't know. It fuels me. Like I love talking to clients, but doing this stuff's almost different. Cause you get to yeah. really chat about management of these cases. Yeah. Agreed. So we're going to start out. So talking about hypothyroidism and then next week we're going to jump into Cushing. So hyperadrenal corticism. Um, so I get to pick an internist brain about these two. So I'm very excited about that. So we're going to focus on hypothyroidism. And I think this will be really interesting because when I've talked to a lot of my friends who are internists before, um, you know, we've kind of chatted about some of the differences we see in these cases, because I deal with these diseases a lot, but the presentation I get is often very different than what you would get in the clinic. So let's just start out basic. What are the clinical signs of hypothyroidism that you see as an internist?
1: So, I mean, I definitely think we see some of the derm signs. Obviously I'm not the one working those up. I'll send them to a dermatologist, but you know, dermatologic signs are something we, we can see probably the most common thing that I particularly see is weight gain, unexplained weight gain. Um, and oftentimes these are in patients who already I'm seeing from other endocrinopathies, like pushings, like diabetes. Um, these patients are maybe described to be gaining weight, but they're not actually eating a ton, um, maybe a little bit more lethargic. And honestly, owners often attribute it to like old age you know, old age, my dog just seems like he's getting old. That's pretty common. That's a pretty common presentation for me. I would say I also oftentimes am testing for it when dogs present for things that seem completely unrelated. So dogs that have like really high fat levels in their blood, cholesterol and triglyceride, I'm screening for hypothyroidism, even a dog that has like a mega esophagus. There's been associations with hypothyroidism or dogs that have polyneuropathies or polymyopathies. So it's a really common thing I'm screening for when they don't have the classic hypothyroidism signs.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really important to kind of see. And especially when we talk next week about cushings, like there's lots of different presentation, these pets can have. And sometimes we are almost catching the numbers before a lot of the clinical signs, like you mentioned. So we do a lot of monitoring lab work for certain medications we're using. So if I see like you mentioned, like a lot of high cholesterol. Um, and for me as a dermatologist, when I deal with hypothyroidism, most often than not, I'm dealing with a pet who's having recurrent pyoderma and they're not really, you know, everyone wants to say, Oh, pyoderma, skin, itchy allergies. But the truth of the matter is if I see a dog, who is mature, more old, and they've not really had any signs of these problems before. Like they haven't really been a pet who's dealt with skin issues before. And now they're nine. And all of a sudden they keep getting these recurrent pyodermas. And when we treat the pyoderma, their pruritus is completely resolved and fine. And they're not really itchy unless they have that I am absolutely screening them for endocrinopathies. And sometimes I think we do see some of the cases that don't show a lot of the other clinical signs are really just manifesting it through recurrent pyoderma or their hair doesn't really grow in as well. You know, they're kind of um, like their coat used to be beautiful, and now it's a bit lackluster. And then the things you mentioned, like weight gain. Luckily, I'm not dealing with like polyneuropathies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, you yeah. say that, and I'm like, well, <laughs> that's gonna go to you. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, kind of putting your mind in a, a different set. That when you deal, at least for me, with skin disease, we have to start recognizing when things aren't typical. You know, like it's not typical for a dog to become allergic when they're older, and never have signs before it's not impossible, but it's not typical. And so like you said, weight gain, but we can't really explain it. You know, they're kind of lethargic, but there's really not a a wonderful reason why then we want to be looking at these hormonal disorders because they really can be tricky. Um, And that brings me to my next question, because I always know there's lots of discussion about this and that's the diagnosis of hypothyroidism. Um, it's always tough when there's lots of different values that we can look at, you know, I've mostly kind of been taught for at least diagnosis, we want a, f- um, a free T4 by ED and TSH but walk me through your process of uh, what you're going to utilize to diagnose because I know there's lots of other tests, um, T3, all these other things that might need to be looked at as well.
1: Yeah. So for me, I think the first thing to say is when we're dealing with hormonal disorders in general, there is like no test that's hundred percent sensitive and specific for most of these conditions. And so we always have to take into account the numbers in conjunction with clinical signs, And that's something you learn over and over again in vet school. You have to interpret it in the face of the patient, but it's so, so true. So, you know, with me personally, and keep in mind you ask a dermatologist you ask an internist you're probably going to get different answers you ask me and you ask my colleague who sits right next to me he's probably going to give you a different answer with what yep. he does so so keep that in mind there's really no right or wrong what i personally do is if I am screening specifically for hypothyroidism, I typically run a paired T4 and TSH. Um, That is if I'm screening. Now, if I find a T4 that's low on my lab work, I'll often do a TSH and simply because at least where I am, that's also the test that I'm gonna get back the quickest in order to try and confirm. So if a total T4 is normal, I I don't generally look further unless they have compatible clinical signs. If a total T4 is low in a dog with compatible clinical signs, I will then run a TSH. And if the TSH is high, you pretty much have your answer. In saying that, I always tell owners about 30% of dogs will have normal TSHs, and in those cases, if my index of suspicion is still high, I will usually send, you know, to MSU or to wherever, the extended thyroid panel where we're gonna look at things like, you know, free T4, thyroglobulin antibodies, um, things like that, T3, I don't really find that useful. It's intracellular and so not really the best form to look at, but that's my approach, but that's also taking into account what I have available to come back quickly. I would probably run free T4s by equilibrium dialysis as part of that T4 TSH, but they take like over a week to come back. And so I'll have my TSH back anyways. And so I can always add that on if I need to, but it might be an unnecessary expense if TSH comes back high.
0: Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that ours, we have a panel that runs TSH free T4 by ED. And I think there are certain times of the week they tend to run those more, but we usually get ours back within like three days, I want to say. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I think what you said is just really important. And if I'm mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I think TSH and human medicine, that's like predominantly what they use as like a way to see how you're responding to medications, really diagnose it. So for maybe people who aren't as familiar with TSH can, cause that is important for us for a diagnosis. Like you said, my previous mm-hmm. dog was hypothyroid and we dealt with that. She kind of had wacky uh, values where her TSH would be really high, but then like her free T4 would be like low, you know, like normal, but low normal, but supplementing her really made a difference. So can you walk through what TSH is and why it is so important?
1: Yeah. So TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone. It's the hormone responsible for stimulating thyroid production by the gland. It comes from higher up in the brain and the pituitary. Um, And so TSH, basically what we're looking for is in a dog that is truly hypothyroid that has not been producing enough thyroid from their glands, you are going to basically have a feedback system saying, Hey, Brain, we need to make more of this. And so the brain should basically, the pituitary gland in the brain should start producing more of that TSH to try and stimulate those thyroid glands. The bad part is they're really not stimulating anything because the thyroid have lost their ability to produce it. But by measuring TSH, if it's high, that is highly supportive of hypothyroidism. Now, like I said, about a third of patients will have a normal TSH. And TSH is actually, you bring up a good point. It is widely used in human medicine. And honestly, I think it's probably going to become one of the main um things that we measure, not just for hypothyroidism, but actually for the use for hyperthyroidism in cats as well is being shown to be very, uh, important for that. And also for detecting hypothyroidism. So I know we're talking about dogs, but, um, it's actually the up and coming hot topic in the cat world too.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I don't have to deal with too much with cats with hyperthyroidism. Like um, compared to dogs for sure. Um, so I'm not gonna lie. Like my knowledge of that besides like some claw abnormalities is like <laughs> a little poor. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting and it makes sense. Right. So when you talk about like youth thyroid, you, your, your thyroid's low and thyroid can be really finicky and change a lot, you know, just by I'm stressed. I have another disease and that's why the TSH can be important. Right. Cause it's like truly your, your brain's like, Oh no, like because most hypothyroidism is due to like autoimmune destruction of their thyroid gland. So your brain's literally, like you said, trying, 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 and you the thyroid glands like, no, thanks. Like I don't really produce that anymore. And that can be problematic. So
1: yeah. So you yeah. uh, thyroid sick is yeah. going to be, so if your thyroid hormones low because you're sick and it's supposed to be low, that's the brain telling your thyroid, don't produce any more thyroid. We're trying to conserve energy right now. And so TSH should be normal or low in those situations.
0: Yeah. I love that explanation. Like that. I think that's really helpful. And that's why I've always kind of been taught to not just rely on uh, total thyroid, like TT4, total T4, um, solely, like you said, you pair it with things like TSH, but that's kind of why I've been taught. Don't just solely rely on that because you can really um over-diagnose it if you just see that and start supplementing them. Um,
1: yeah, that's probably the most over-diagnosed condition I see is it comes out low on a, on a panel and they start thyroid supplementation. So that's probably the most over-treated condition that I see.
0: Yeah. Sure. So then treatment options. So talking about the treatment options, dosing, you know, you'll hear things like certain generics, like if you scripted out to human medicine, uh human pharmacy, being careful of that. And I've actually heard quite a few different things as far as where to start, um, on the dosing range mix per keg. So where do you tend to start with these cases?
1: Um, you know, I, I tend to like, depending on the patient, I tend to start at the lower doses range. So I have my little chart that tells me like kilogram dose, how mm-hmm. much to use, whether you're starting at 0.1, 0.2, obviously it varies per pet. I think the thing that you have to realize too, is if you are scripting out to a human pharmacy comparatively, we use much higher thyroid supplementation dosing. So there's so many times where I run into the problem where a client's at the pharmacy and the pharmacist is like, this is not right. You yeah. know? So that's one thing to keep in mind. And the question of generic versus brand name, I mean, I think gold standard, the only one that's been shown to be like, you know, hundred percent reliable is siloxine to my knowledge mm-hmm. in saying that I've used a ton of other Um, both generic and veterinary brand name products. I think the key when it comes to those products is to realize that it can be variable. And so if you have something that's not working, and the thyroid's not coming up, maybe try switching to a different product, maybe try switching to a veterinary product or a, you know, or a siloxane, because you want to use the gold standard when things aren't going according to plan.
0: Yeah. And I think as far as like the dosing, exactly what you said is kind of what I, I have understood is that we really want to be starting more in that lower range for a lot of these cases. Um, and then kind of working our way up because we can often see, I've had some where I've rechecked them and all of a sudden they're like way high and owners are reporting of, you know, Oh, they're jittery or they've lost a lot of weight or like, we're getting that hyperthyroid cat basically in the dog that we're trying to correct. And so I've actually, from my understanding is that we, a lot of people are starting to start lower. It's kind of like when we talk about Cushing's next week, a lot of people are starting to start lower instead of some of these higher doses that people used to use. Um, one thing I've always found interesting kind of, uh, wrapping up this little, um, quick version of hypothyroidism how often to check and the timing of that. Cause some of the studies have been a little bit different. I've heard, you know, four to six hours post pill, two to four hours post pill. I usually say four, just still, I'm like, it's in both. So I just do yeah. four, yeah. um, and just give them a clear cut time to do. And then how often, like if they're well-regulated, are we kind of checking them every six months, every year? What's your protocol with that?
1: So generally, like I follow a very similar protocol when it comes to endocrinopathies in general, I mean, maybe a bit more aggressive for Cushing's, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, so for my hypothyroid patients, you know, I think generally we need to give them at least four weeks when we start the medication before we assess them. And then when we make changes, I would say somewhere between every two to four weeks to assess anytime we make a change. Um, I like you, I meet halfway and go with the four hour post pill uh, for whatever that's worth. I think the key is consistent. So, you know, if it's a two to six hour, you got to stick with the same, you know, amount every time at your appointment. So you have to know when the owner gives the medication when you book that appointment, um, so that it's going to be consistent. And then once I feel like we have a thyroid, which is where we want it, which is typically like either at the high end of the dose range, or sometimes even slightly, slightly above is okay, too. um, I usually then pare it down. So say at that one month recheck, we're doing great, we don't need to make any adjustments, I might check it three months later, if it's still doing well, maybe three, every three months for the first year, and then I'll go to every six months, probably. Um, That's me, that is my little Dr. Edelman's (laughs) protocol. That doesn't mean it's right. But for me, usually for the first year out, I like to do every three months, just because I feel like things can change. And then if things have stayed stable, then I will extend it to kind of every six months or so.
0: And I think that's totally reasonable. And I have had, I've had cases on supplementation. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've had cases on supplementation for like a long time, like a year, two years, what, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden we'll check it and it'll be like very high. And they are starting to report some of these, these abnormalities. And I'm like, well, same with cushings when we talk about yeah. it like i've had some where it's like same dose same dose and i'll even have owners ask like do we have to keep checking this because you just keep it the same and all of a sudden it's different you know hormones mm-hmm. are just so wacky like mm-hmm. these pathways are very um peculiar and one thing that i really like you mentioned in, in the beginning and i think it holds true here too numbers are great but they're guidance mm-hmm they're not the end all be all. So like when you mentioned it's okay, if they're slightly above normal, like I would totally agree with that. Cause I've had some cases owners come in and they're just like, they're fabulous. They're fantastic. They're feeling great. We haven't had a pyoderma in a year that never happened before their energy is great. And they'll just be slightly above normal. And I'll be like, great. Stay there. You know, just we'll check it again. Like you said, I do about every six months as well, long-term. And so we'll say, we'll check it again. We'll kind of keep an eye on it. But most of them really do quite well, even being slightly above normal. And in fact, if they're in the normal range, but in the lower end of normal, I'll really start asking owners, like, well, are you noticing any, you know, their hair is not as good or they're a little bit punky or they've gained some weight because even though we're in the normal range, like we do tend to like them on the upper end. And so we may need to adjust our therapy, especially if you're noticing that they're not thriving as much as they were previously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, those are all really important points. And I also think like, you know, people have to realize part of the monitoring is not just monitoring the thyroid and seeing how they're doing. It's also monitoring for complications of the disease. If we don't check blood work, it's going to be hard to find the hypertriglyceridemia or the elevated cholesterol that can potentially lead to ocular changes, heart changes, liver disease, all of these. You know, potentially complications of hypothyroidism. So it's also about looking for those complications and detecting them early enough that we can intervene before, you know, they have an eye that needs to be, you know, addressed in a more severe manner. So,
0: yeah. One quick question, actually, just thought of that should have been more in the dosing is I am a twice daily doser, but I have heard that there's been some debate that maybe some of them can be once daily. What is your take on that?
1: I, I have mainly learned that I would say uh, from my colleagues, dermatologists as well. I'm a twice daily doser, uh, but I have seen them put on Wednesday, uh once daily and done it. Okay. But I think if you look at the actual, um, you know, pharmacokinetics of, of yep. thyroid supplementation that realistically, they probably need it twice daily. So that's what I do.
0: Okay, perfect. Great. Excellent. There's not some crazy new study in internal medicine. That I don't know about that makes me very no, happy. At least. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, Lauren, thank you so much. This has been really helpful just to kind of look at that brief overview of these cases. Um, and I think it's important because they can, it seems simple enough, you know, thyroid, we would say is pretty expen- inexpensive to treat long-term can make a big difference in them but there are, you know, we don't want to overdiagnose it for sure. Um, and we do want to make sure we're monitoring all those things that you talked about, even though we don't think of it necessarily as often being a fatal disease, it can still be one that leads to you know, in your world, all these crazy changes and removing eyeballs in my world, methicillin resistant staph pyodermas, which are really problematic, um, as well and weight gain, things like that. So I think it's really important just to kind of know some of the basics and, you know, alter the way we're practicing that so that we are doing best medicine for these patients. So, um, I am so excited next week that we will be also discussing Cushing's disease, which, oh, I feel like is a big, big, uh, Mess. much more complicated mess even than that than this one so i will look forward to talking to you about that next week well thank you so much to lauren for being on the podcast it was so much fun seeing her passion and kind of managing hypothyroidism Um, Next week, she is back on the podcast to talk about hyperadrenal corticism. So I really encourage you guys to check that episode out next week. We're going to dive into Cushing's disease and the complications that come with treating and diagnosing that disease as well. If you enjoy these podcasts, I really encourage you to leave a five-star review. It helps more than you can even imagine. Get the podcast out to other audiences so we can keep teaching how to manage and diagnose these cases.